We just have to build, build what suits the needs of our community to build a welcoming, diverse community and to provide housing for, as I said, across people's lifetimes and across the income spectrum, because that's the kind of community I want to live in. So what I consider immoral, objectionable, is that someone could face eviction for sleeping in a bedroom. Hello, Boulder and the wider world. This is the Sharing Boulder Podcast. My name is Philip Ogren, and for episode 15, I spoke with Steve Rosenblum in my backyard to discuss his candidacy for Boulder City Council. But before we get started, I have several times in recent episodes mentioned the fact that 85% of the city of Boulder is zoned for single-family houses. This is a convenient fact for me, given how much I enjoy talking about zoning reform and the affordable housing shortage in Boulder. But unfortunately, it is badly inaccurate. This was recently brought to my attention, and I had intended to issue this apology independent of the fact that Steve brought it up in our interview when he told me that the correct number is 35%. I've read elsewhere that it is something more like 40% of the city. Now, in my defense, I assumed that the 85% figure was relative to residentially zoned land, not the entire city. I have seen estimates that this number is between 60 and 70%. So whether it is 35 to 40% of the entire city or 60 to 70% of the residential areas, which may or may not be a useful distinction, it is significantly less than the 85% number I have used. I apologize for my carelessness. Rest assured, our entire fact-checking team was summarily fired without severance pay because we care about facts and want to get them right. Please reach out to me on Twitter with concerns about incorrect facts mentioned on this podcast or any other comments you might have. My handle is at PVOgren. Technical note. Just before we started discussing Bedrooms Are For People, I took my lapel mic off to set up a light to improve the video quality. We discussed Bedrooms Are For People for several minutes before I realized I had not put it back on. I did my best to recover the audio during that section of the interview but it's a little choppy. I have made no secret that I am excited about the four candidates endorsed by the Boulder Coalition, and I am honored that they came on the podcast. I encourage you to go listen to those episodes if you haven't already. While I cannot pretend to not be a biased and opinionated podcaster, I have invited all of the city council candidates onto the podcast, and I'm committed to engaging in thoughtful and respectful dialogue with whoever comes onto the show. So I want to extend my gratitude to David Takahashi and Steve Rosenblum for also participating in the podcast, and I hope you find these episodes to be informative and interesting as well. Steve came over to my house on the evening of the same Friday on which he and his legal team served campaign-related cease and desist order letters to people I respect and admire. I want to acknowledge this elephant in the room and say that for the purposes of this podcast episode, we politely ignored it. I trust and hope that this issue can be sorted out in good faith between the affected parties, or if necessary, through the legal system. I do not think any commentary from me, from me on this issue would be well-informed or productive. Steve is a formidable conversation partner, and we sparred and brainstormed and explained and explored for over three hours as we compared and contrasted our ideas about how to address a wide variety of issues that Boulder faces. 
I appreciate Steve's tenacious approach to problem solving, his depth of knowledge of the issues, his attention to relevant facts and experiences, his independent streak, and his love for Boulder. My brain was buzzing long after our conversation ended, and I appreciate the way he challenged many of my ideas and assumptions. I've never been quite so tempted on this podcast to play the role of, quote, Monday morning quarterback by adding commentary on things I might have said differently or open threads that I might have circled back on. Such is the nature of unrehearsed conversation. But I won't embellish any further this already very long intro to our longest yet episode. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Steve Rosenblum. Steve, welcome to Sharing Bowler. Thanks so much for taking time out of your busy week. Um, uh, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself. Tell us why you're running for city council. Cool. Thank you so much for inviting me. So my name is Steve Rosenblum. Um, I'm running for city council because I believe there's so much progress to be made in this town if we just start talking to each other. So I want to have the conversation. And that's what I've been doing in my campaign, um, talking to a lot of people who don't usually talk to each other. And I've discovered that we have the same values and um, just little tweaks at the margin. And as opposed to uh, scaremongering and disagreeing, figure out where we agree and move forward. And I believe I can do that. That's great. Um, so the name of this podcast is Sharing Boulder. And I've uh, in the last episode, I started off what I'd like to be maybe a tradition. We'll see how it works out. But just to start off by asking, how would you make Boulder or what should Boulder do to become more inclusive? Yeah. So there's, there's two ways. Okay. Affordability. Yeah. Across the spectrum. Yeah. Housing affordability um, and then just cost of living, which we need to address through making sure um, all of our comprehensive policies um, don't have a disparate impact on the people who are struggling in Boulder. Um, so we need to balance our climate goals, building codes, um, how we pay for stuff to make sure it's equitable. Um, the other is cultural. You know, I moved here from, uh, from New York and people here are, um, I would say very enlightened about certain things and sort of not enlightened about other things. And the more we can elevate the conversation um, and build empathy uh, for people who aren't, aren't like, aren't, who don't look like you, don't, don't talk like you, have come from different backgrounds, that's how we're gonna move forward. Um, and there's plenty of ways to do that. I mean, government can be a leader. Um, the arts can be a leader. Um, I think people here are, do a lot to try to educate themselves and so it's it's we just got to bring the culture along yeah right? we have i feel like in boulder we have a lot of inclusive sensibilities and we sort of kind of fall down when the rubber hits the road in terms of actually bringing people in that are, have diverse backgrounds so i appreciate appreciate your answer there well so one of the things i wanted to kick off with is um one of the one of the candidates i don't remember who it was it might have been matt benjamin said um that uh, one of the things he loves about politics in Boulder is that uh, we we all agree on what the problems are. Like uh, we were talking before, and it's like yeah, housing and um, uh, the homeless problem, and um, we, we actually didn't get around to talking about transportation. But but yeah. we have we I think we have a lot of agreement that uh, and and that's that just seems true of a lot of the candidates that like we yeah. all know what the we all know what the problems are. Like, it just feels great that we're not like worrying about whether or not COVID is a, 
is a, a conspiracy theory or like <laughs> I mean all, all the kinds of things that are sure. that are bogging down other city council meetings right right now around the country so I don't know if you have a comment about that it wasn't really a question <laughs> oh I, I, I do um, I find it incredibly frustrating and that's part of what motivated motivated me to do it because I feel like yeah we agree on the problems we agree where we need to go but um, you would think that it's Alabama versus California or something. I don't know who's who, <laughs> yeah. but um, we need to change the dialogue. I know there's been attempts before. There's a group dialogue, Boulder's trying to improve it. Um, but just, just, just talk to each other, bring people to the table and uh, you know, focus, yeah. on the, focus on your, the values and the goals rather than trying to, trying to win. Yeah. And I think Rachel friended a, uh, at a recent city council meeting, um, she implored everyone to, hey, every decision Let's stop framing it as a win or lose. Yeah. Right. It's we're not playing a board game here. We're trying to beat the other person. Right. We're trying to build a community and move yeah. us forward. So most most board games are zero sum games. Yes. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Un unlike this community, which I think has so much uh, room for positive growth for lots of people. So I agree. Cool. Uh, well, so uh, along along those lines, though, um, uh, one of the things that um, that so. I feel like I've only been paying attention really to local politics the last few years. Like I lived in Boulder for like 10 years, just sort of like, uh, you know, not paying attention to city council. You know, like I never went to a city council meeting, for example, or, yeah. or understood how the planning board worked. And um, uh, in 2017, I remember thinking, you know, I've got some opinions about some of this stuff. Maybe I should pay attention to who's running for city council. And it was very frustrating for me to go to everyone's websites and and see that um, everyone was saying basically the same thing, like from like kind of an uninformed, but I feel like somewhat educated, I, I, that's uh, oxymoron, but yeah, um, yeah. but like I couldn't I couldn't figure out who the different people were and because they were all saying the same thing. So that that's that's one thing that's interesting to me about you. Like I I don't know much about you yet. I've been inter I interviewed the four candidates that are endorsed by the Boulder Coalition. And um, uh, so when I, when I went and listened to your kickoff speech and heard the other people who got up and said nice things about you, uh, it sort of feels like, gosh, you're saying all the things that uh, these other four candidates are saying. So maybe like to, to, to you, what is sort of most salient about how you're a different candidate than, and maybe, maybe, maybe uh, you have so many agreements <laughs> yeah. that it's not the, the right question to ask, but. Uh, so I think if you lot. listen to, uh, to one person who spoke at my, a city council person who spoke at my kickoff event, um, he said in every election there are um, candidates who say, and there are candidates who do. And Steve is, um, is, is most strongly in the do category. So I think um, you, you started off uh, mentioning that you started getting interested because of uh, Trump. Yeah, um, sure. Paying uh, attention, I think that, so if there's one positive about him, it caused a lot of people to pay attention. <laughs> yeah. um, but I've been doing. Yeah. So I've, I've been in housing and finance for my whole career. And, uh, you know, people have read about housing policy, I've lived and breathed it. So uh, I've done the work both at a national level um, and the local level to deeply dig into 
um, what's, what can we do better? What's causing these problems? Um, what are the federal, state, and local regulations um, that, need to be, that need to be changed to unlock better outcomes? So I think that's the biggest differentiator. Um, I'm, I'm also a, a numbers guy. So when people say in front of planning board or um, city council that they want this or they want that, they don't understand fully what that desire translates to in terms of increasing housing costs or decreasing the feasibility or constraining housing supply. And I understand those things because I'm experienced, I'm also an economist. The other big distinction between me and the, the candidates you've spoken to is, um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm in for solutions and not slogans. And I hear a lot of slogans um, specifically um, on two critical issues that I think um, are going to determine this election and determine the near-term future of Boulder. So this election in particular, I don't think there's a lot of disagreement between uh, what we need to do on housing and transportation and climate. I'm going to get to 100% green energy as fast as possible. Um, I'm going to look to build the housing, redevelop the housing, preserve the housing that Boulder needs to build that welcoming community um, and build a safer, uh, more convenient, climate-friendly transportation network. However, uh, I do not want to defund the Boulder Police Department. Uh, I do not want to overturn the camping ban. Those are um, bad slogans and even worse policy that have been, ever since it came up last summer, rejected by every single election across the United States. We just had the, the mayor election in New York City where the person who won was a former police officer who prom promised to keep people safe by getting more police officers on the streets. The number one uh, well-established result in criminology research is more cops on the streets, saves, saves lives, protects neighborhoods, especially more vulnerable neighborhoods. I am absolutely for police reform, police accountability, but I'm not for bigotry or demonization of police officers or unhoused people. So we've already lost 42 <coughs> officers out of a um, strength of force of 183. So we've already tried defunding the police and we saw what happens. Um, on, the, on the separate issue of, of homelessness, um, I don't think it's compassionate to abandon people who desperately need our help who are either struggling with uh, mental health issues or substance abuse problems. We need to connect with people and give them a path to a better life. Um, and that's not what I'm hearing from the other candidates. So uh, I think we have some, some pretty, pretty strong areas of disagreement there. Yeah, well, um, homelessness, the homeless issue is, is one of these issues I feel like I'm still learning a lot about mm -hmm. as I go. We, um, we interviewed Jen Livovich yep. on the show recently, and um, I thought that was a, a really interesting conversation. One of the things that, that came out of that for me that um, I hadn't thought about before was um, when you put a homeless person into an apartment it's disorienting for them. They've just lost the community that they that they um, were a part of, and now they're isolated from that. And um, uh, for some, I don't want to overgeneralize because so I, I'll give you my background. So I've been focused on national housing issues, but when I I like to do things where I can make a real difference. So mm -hmm. before I even started running for city council a couple of years ago, um, I decided I want to really understand this issue. So and understand the constraints that people face and why it's so difficult. So I 
I went and found this uh, dilapidated slum building in Denver that was full of health code violations and basically being used as a drug house. Um, it was going to be condemned. I partnered with the Denver Office of Economic Development to refurbish it and build safe, quality, basically market rate standard housing. And I went to the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless to provide housing for um, elderly, disabled, and formerly unhoused people. And sure, maybe some of them who have been living unhoused for a while felt that, but many of them started crying when they saw their name yeah. on the mailbox. Yeah, I wasn't so. trying to um, somehow implicitly endorse that providing them housing was... was uh, no, no, just that, the, just just, the, that yeah. yes, there are some folks who it's, it's, uh, can be disorienting for, yeah. but for, I would say for most folks, it saves yeah. their life. Yeah, right, right. No, it, it, to me, it makes sense to, um, to provide a, like a lot more housing for, for that population. So like in, and in Boulder, I feel like, um, you know, the housing ladder, if you want to use that metaphor, it's probably a horrible metaphor, but I feel like the bottom several rungs have been kicked out, you know, so that it, it, it's difficult for someone on the street to actually do that for themselves to, to, to get housing for themselves. So, um, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe just t tell me, like, can, can you maybe just step me through like a positive vision of like how you would, um, tackle homelessness in, in Boulder? Sure. So when you say that, uh, it's difficult for someone to resolve it themselves. So I, I never like to overgeneralize. So as a, as a, for sure, as a, uh, everyone is unique and everyone is, yeah. has their own unique challenges and needs to be met, um, with the right resources. So we spend across city and county about a hundred million dollars a year on housing and human services um, either directly or via funding the 20 different nonprofits we have for for different needs and that's that's totally separate from any police budget or no just housing and human yeah, services yeah right this is separate from police and and well because uh, homelessness you know because because it is a police issue uh, it shouldn't be yeah so right. I, I i am fully supportive of um Police should be address, addressing crimes. They should be uh, trying to figure out the yeah. bike, bike theft and car theft rings, the importation of meth and fentanyl, not interacting with homeless people. Yeah. And we should be having um, social workers and, and mental health professionals, whatever, whatever people need yeah. um, to connect them with services. Yeah. Totally separate issue. Um, with back to, back to homelessness and housing insecurity, um, I think we have... Well, you you made the connection to the police kicking kicking off this conversation, right? Like um, no no so no, okay. I, I said there are two issues, yeah. Where I strongly disagree with the candidates you spoke with before. I see. Yeah. We have a crime problem. Yeah. Um, the property crime is up between twenty five and two hundred fifty percent, depending on um, the offense. There's been you know if you look at total crime, it's flat because the amount of um, crimes against society like uh, alcohol crimes or drug abuse crimes, um, their way down because essentially we're not going after them or prosecuting them, but property crime and certain assaults um, are up an uncomfortable amount and it's a worrisome trend. Yeah. So, um, But, but I, I assume like, um, I mean, isn't there a connection between homelessness and the crime rate? I mean, I feel like uh, there's, you know, people who have substance abuse problems are almost certainly looking for cash to buy whatever they need that day, right? And so they're committing so crimes. I, I mean, so yeah, I think that like is teasing a, them apart. That's seems what I. That's what I. To me. Um, 
want to strongly push back against okay. because I think that's what's going on in the community is that people are associating uh, housing insecurity and homelessness with crime. Okay. There is absolutely a nexus, but of, of the many people struggling with high housing costs or, or whatever's going on in their life, um, there's about 5% of them who are um, committing crimes. But those 5% are responsible for the majority of what's called type 1 crimes in our community. So that's why we need to treat everyone as an individual and yep. not, not scapegoat um, the unhoused, unhoused community because of the actions of a few. Um, so back to uh, what can we do? Um, we're already doing a lot. Um, and I think that we can always do better and spend, spend, what we, spend what we spend more efficiently, more effectively, and more creatively to reach people. So um, you, you mentioned people who, um, so in, in this country, the bottom 20% of the income distribution can't afford housing anywhere in any county, in any county, any state in the country. And that's uh, for two reasons. One is because we have an income problem. Um, we've we've passed thirty years. Um, the the bottom court bottom twenty percent of the income distribution has not kept pace with inflation, and we've had big relative price shifts in our economy because of productivity. So the um, iPhones and cars have gotten a lot cheaper. Uh, entertainment's gotten a lot cheaper. But the three sectors of the economy which have had no productivity growth are education, healthcare, and construction. So part of the increase in housing, housing costs are due to low interest rates and land prices going up, but a big part is construction costs. Um, so what are the three things that, that uh, are the fundamentals of a middle-class life? Getting your education, pride in solid healthcare, place to live. Yeah. So um, we're struggling with that. So the We've got, got federal programs to, um, to fill in some of those gaps. You know, let's take a step back. We've decided that uh, in this country, healthcare is a human rights. We have Medicaid. Say what you want about the, the strength of our healthcare system, but education is a human right. Mm -hmm. um, food's a human right. We have, um, you know, TNAF and, and, and SNAP, um, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance. And, uh, but housing, we haven't declared a human right. So we, we fund. 40 billion a year of, of HUD housing vouchers and various programs, that's only enough to cover one-fifth of every person who would otherwise qualify for it. So for another $200 billion a year, we would effectively end uh, homelessness as we know it, or housing insecurity as we know it. In the $3.5 trillion budget um, proposed by the Biden administration, there's a lot of creative stuff to both enable more um, affordable housing and provide more housing opportunity um, to folks so we'll see what happens there yeah, I think that's great I, I um, you know I, I sort of think about it simplistically in terms of supply and demand yep. and um, when people start talking about increasing wages in the context of housing like there's lots of good reasons to increase people's wages but um, I feel like you know it's one of these policies I feel like we have a lot of policies to increase demand for housing um, and and like increased wages in isolation feels like something that increases demand. Yeah. Which you know when you when you look at that supply demand curve, like you're pushing prices up for housing, and it seems like you know that, like there always needs to be t discussion about the supply side. So the fact that the Biden plan 
is is trying to address that is encouraging to me. Um, yep. Um, anyways, yeah. Sure. So, yeah. so I I think that's to say that there's there's two distinct housing crises in this country. Um, one is what we just spoke about is that the, the 20, bottom twenty percent can't afford yeah. anywhere. Yeah. Right, and that's an income problem. Then there is a supply supply problem in certain parts of the country. High tech centers. Coast, coastal centers yeah. where because of many different things, primarily trade deals and uh, the software eating the world and the agglomeration effects of, of these tech centers, um, you know, all of the industries that want to move to Boston, New York, California, Seattle, right? And many cities um, in the Rust Belt Midwest are well below their peak populations. <laughs> the housing there is very affordable. Yeah. They are tearing down housing and tearing up infrastructure. So we are um, bad national and regional economic policy is forcing people to relocate to places like Phoenix and the Sun Belt, where it's not very climate friendly. They got to use air conditioning all the time, and they're going to run out of water. Yeah, so, exactly. yes, we don't. Let's not confuse the. Um, kind of the problems of, of housing under undersupply we've been dealing with for the past decade in the aftermath of the financial crisis with um, some poor economic policy that's causing these big regional migration shifts. So um, there's affordable housing to be had in many parts of the country, yeah. but the jobs aren't there. Right. So I, I think we need as a, as a nation to to make sure we have equitable growth across the country, which will go a long way to, to heal our politics as well. Yeah, well, I mean, thinking about just Boulder as a, as a microcosm, yep. you, you can't, for one thing. I mean, like, to basically what you were just saying is, like, there's all these uh, national and regional uh, trends that are going on that, um, you know, affect Boulder's housing market. And there's yeah. a lot of people interested in coming to Colorado and... Uh, Boulder's very attractive inside of Colorado, and um, so there's very, very high demand. Um, but I feel like that's like half the story, right? Like we've, we have basically had very stagnant supply in Boulder for, for you know, decades. We've had a lot. Oh, that's of, not true. That's not true. No, people okay. throw. So another thing that. Uh, well, um, I feel like the zoning hasn't meaningfully changed in, in, in recent memory. So we have the Danish plan, which restricts single family residence permits to 1% a year, but that doesn't apply to multifamily. Okay. So do you know how many houses, I mean, how many residences we've, we've constructed over the past decade? I don't. How many? 3,000. 3,000. So, so that's, um, uh, is that 8% something like that? Um, so it was about 40,000, 3,000. Yeah. About eight, 9%. Right. Yeah. But if you would have talked to those other four candidates, you would think it's zero. Right. Right. So I like to talk in real facts. Um, and, uh, could we do more? Could we do better? Yes. So what happened over that, over that past decade when we built 3,000 housing units? What happened to the vacancy rate? Went from 2% to 6%. We have the highest vacancy rate in any, in any city in Boulder County. Yet prices go, went up. Um, we can't divorce prices here from the national trends where, especially over COVID, people are fleeing from cities, uh, work from home, the desirable places are going to go up. But 
It means we're doing something wrong. When we increase supply, prices go up and vacancy goes up. What we're doing wrong is we're building the wrong, wrong kind of housing. We have 60,000 in commuters, and what do they say? They, they say they would pay more and accept less to give up their commute and live in Boulder, but not in a micro unit, not in a one bedroom, because yeah. people want to have a dog, so, people like want to have the, kids. Of those 3,000 units, how many of those are, are like the kind that you're talking about? Majority. Okay, so more, than, build, more than 50%? More than yeah. 50%. Okay. Because, so we, but not like 95%? I think about 70%. Okay. Um, not micro units, but one bedrooms, two bedrooms. Yeah. Um, so Boulder Housing Partners, you know, since we started the Inclusionary Housing Ordinance and Community Benefit, um, we have now 6,500 um, units of, of deed-restricted affordable housing uh, rentals. About 250 um, deed-restricted ownership uh, in the ownership program, so not that many. So Boulder Housing Partners runs two programs because of the, the different uh, tax credits you get with what's called LIHTC, and that's, that's the primary financing mechanism to build um, affordable housing. Affordable housing. Um, and we get the equity from either cash in lieu, um, from the inclusionary housing ordinance, ordinance, or from direct funding from the city um, from property taxes. And like I said before we started, um, Boulder Housing Partners is, I think, the premier best uh, most well-run, best executed, um, most well-managed housing authority in the country. And I've, I've ex have experienced a lot of them. Um, so with the, there's two programs, one for 30% of um, people making less than 30% of area median income and one for pe people making 60% of, less than 30, 60% of area median income. There is insatiable demand for um, the 30%. Um, but we're nearing the, the nearing the, the saturation point of the 60%, and they have seven more projects in the pipeline. So, what that means is, you know, someone, if if you were to take a market rating, uh, compare a market rate uh, rental with an affordable rental, where you have to do income certification and go through the administrative burden, you'd much rather take even for a little bit more money the market rate. Yeah. So, and, and for these city-funded pro, um, projects. If you make, if your income grows above that 60%, let's say you start out, you're, you're starting your career, your income grows, or, or you decide to, um, uh, you have a partner, you want to start a family, you either get kicked out or you never qualify. So, um, and then where do they go? That gap between the 60% of AMI the missing and middle. a single thing. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and it's not like San Francisco where people need to drive three hours. Here people can drive 20, 25 minutes yep. to find a place they can afford that's attractive to them. Um, so, but what we're doing is we're accommodating national investor demand to build student housing. Um, they, they look for you know, private equity firms and local investors. Um, they want to build housing where they're going to have parents sign a year in advance on the lease, have zero vacancies because the students recycle every year, have zero evictions because people are moving out every year. So that's just a gold mine for investors. So that's what they want to build here, but it's not serving our community. Yeah. You know, CU needs to build housing. We shouldn't um, use our, our, our precious land that's available to, to accommodate their refusal to build what, adequate housing for their students. What's the narrative that you would give for why CU is failing to build the housing that they need to, to serve their students? The same reason they are pushing student debt on their students. They're, they're cost constrained. Yeah. So um, 
we've, as a, at states across the country, have um, cut budgets to education, and they've they've put put some of that burden on the students and via debt, and put some of that uh, on underinvesting in 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 in, uh, in plant facilities. All so right, they have. So I have, have a, a, I have a, a disconnect here because. Yeah. Um, uh, institutions want to come in and make a bunch of money on these very same students that somehow CU would lose money or it would it would be extra expense for them oh they got they, like, they why, just, why, the why, capital cost to build it and also they because they, they don't have access to capital is sort of the, sort of the reason oh they also don't want to spend the money when they can push the burden on the students so they they get a lot of out-of-state students who are or, or to me it seems like the problem can be solved by private equity or whatever. Uh, I'm not saying that, that's the, oh, the, right, be, the right thing. But also, there's, CU has a ton of land on, on East Arapahoe. They've got a ton of substandard apart, 70s apartments that aren't very dense along the creek. Yeah. They should be doing something about <laughs> yeah. that. I, that's what I was going to ask you next, because I, I used to live at 30th in Colorado when I was in grad school. Yep. And uh, at the time I lived there, they talked about taking those things down and doing something else with it. And they're still there. They, I don't see any sign that they're that they're going anywhere. But but they're not very. Um, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons, problems with those those housing. Except the location is wonderful. The the community is is lovely. Uh, but uh, but there could be a lot more housing there. A lot better housing there. A lot more housing and a lot better housing. So if um, if CU wants to build a bunch of housing there, can the city get in the way? No. no yeah. They, the CU they, is sovereign. They can do whatever they want. Yeah. So and so they. Yeah, to me it seems like um, I, I'm it, not on, I'm not on the board of regents. Yeah, I don't right. know. I disagree <laughs> yeah. with what they're doing, but yeah. you know I'm running for city council, not the regents That's of right. CU. Yeah, so. I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I don't mean to put you on the defensive with what CU is yeah, yeah. doing, but uh, it, it is it is curious to me. Um, well, th thanks for explaining that. Um, uh, I'm trying to. I feel like we've got four or five loose threads plus yeah, yeah. plus a bunch of subjects uh, we haven't. You take me wherever you want to go. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I do want to. Um, I feel like we're right on the edge of talking about uh, bedrooms are for people because sure. this issue of uh, institutions coming in and yep. and um, uh, uh, building building housing for students um, and I, I didn't I didn't even summarize what you said earlier very well but I, I have this other thread that I wanted to just push on just for a, a minute sure. before we go there and that is um, my vision of where I would like to live is not this single-family house on a on a large yard I, we rent this place and we're, we're constantly thinking about what we want where okay. we want to be next this is pretty um, nice <laughs> it's pretty nice but um, it's not for me okay. uh, I, I I want to live in a place where um, I don't need a car that where pedestrians are first-class citizens cyclists are close seconds and third in, in cars you have to you have to park somewhere on the periphery I'd like to live in cyclocroft if you've ever heard of that magical place um, but anyways, it's a it's a thought exercise. It's not a real place, um, and um, I would like to have like downtown be an entire pedestrian district where uh, we park our cars somewhere on the periphery, and and we walk everywhere. And there's a lot of place for families to live and for young professionals, all kinds of people to yep. live, and. Um, uh, I feel like even this neighborhood could be totally transformed because we're we're just um, two miles from CU. We're walking distance to the to the grocery store, but it's not a neighborhood that's designed for walking. It's it's just it just happens to be close to places, yep. but it's completely handed over to cars. We've got so much parking, so much asphalt, 
gigantic yards that are n never used <laughs> as far as i can tell i never see people back here yep. um, and so i would just love to reconfigure a lot of these places that are close to downtown um, for car light carbon carbon light living um, and uh, so my question to you is does that appeal to you and and um, can we can we make some zoning changes to allow neighborhoods like this one to be to look a lot different um, so you may not like living here, <laughs> yeah. but a lot of people do. For sure. Right? So I would leave it to people in this neighborhood to decide what they want. Um, so the, the vision that you're, um, you're putting forth, um, you know, it, it's people are looking to Europe, um, yeah. about what a great walkable communal neighborhood. So my, my wife is, uh, her family's from Cuba, but originally from Spain and after the revolution, a lot of them went back to Spain. So we haven't gone for COVID, but we go to Spain every, every summer to stay with the family. And people live in very small apartments. Um, they don't really do entertaining at their homes. Yeah. Every, every, you know, you don't see any cars. Having a car is a pain in the butt. And if you have one, it's gotta be a tiny car. And people live very socially, you walk everywhere, and it's wonderful. That sounds amazing. But <laughs> cities are built on the tech, prevalent transportation technology at the time. Yeah. When all these European cities are built that everyone here loves to point to, it was before the internal combustion engine. For sure. Right? So they had to, they had to somehow fit the internal combustion in there somehow. All these places, most places in America, were, were built for and subsidized by the car companies, the tire companies, the asphalt companies, all that stuff. So um, how do we transition? Right? And how do we bring people along? Yeah, that's the question. So because yeah, I feel like, you know, a major key to the climate crisis is getting out of our cars and, and living in, in neighborhoods that don't require them. Yep, you're correct. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So for me, it's a question of what smart policies can we pass to bring people along and show people the vision um, and with the proper on transportation, carrots and sticks. Yeah. Don't just beat people. Yeah. lead people along with how great it's going to be. Yeah. And what I, what I envision is um, before you can say, um, hey, we're going to change your neighborhood, <laughs> yeah. right? Which right. just yeah. scares people. Well, for sure. It's, it's like, yeah. Let's build great new neighborhoods, right? Yeah. We, we, have, we have a lot, a lot of asphalt in this town. We've got a lot of underutilized land that strip malls and, and shopping centers built in the 70s and 80s that are Aban not the highest and best hospitals. use. Yes. Um, where... That can be the vision for the future, and we can we can spend the money um, to build these great you know 15-minute neighborhoods yeah. where you can live, work, play, all that stuff. And people who are living in these sorts of places where they have to get in their car are going to be jealous. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's kind of my um, um, and and where I where I what I think is uh, is doable. Um, and gonna make the most change and not gonna, you know, get people's hackles up and uh, well, let me, make let real me, progress. Well, let me uh, rephrase it. I see the wonderful stuff in Holiday Neighborhood and yep. I'm jealous. So I want change. Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to put myself in the category of the hypothetical person yeah. you just mentioned. So what, what can I do to like have that? Yeah, so the, the problem with Holiday, everyone loves it, it just took too long. Yeah. And the reason it took too long is because uh, People weren't talking to each other, and we have, I'm the first one to admit, we have a Byzantine 
you know, comp plan, site review, all, all these processes, and let's not, um, you know, denigrate the wonderful planning that created this town and made it so de desirable. Yeah. Created the open space, created yeah. all these thoughtful things that make everyone want to live here. So let's not tear that apart. Let's just make it better. Yeah. But I, I think we need to agree where we need to go and get there. Not battle over every single development because we haven't agreed on the vision. I think we can agree on the vision. Um, and then streamline the process to bring forward so a holiday doesn't take 10, 20 years, yeah. the next holiday. Well, the next yeah. holiday could be Alpine Balsam. So how do you feel about Alpine Balsam as a site for a 15-minute neighborhood? It's a wonderful site for a 15-minute neighbor, neighborhood. I question whether we should be locating... Um, we need to do something about our city facilities. There's some in the floodplain. They're not energy-efficient buildings. But the f fact of the matter is that um, I think it was like 80, 85% of people uh, of city employees commute in from outside of the town. We need to fix that by <laughs> building more housing, more affordable housing. But why concentrate all those people into a place where we're trying to build a lot of housing, right? And when instead we could have a community center, an art center, a not-profit center, which would benefit and enhance this community. Um, so that doesn't seem like, oh, I, I'm confused now. So, so you wouldn't, um, um, so just to be clear, Alpine get, Balsam is going to be a wonderful mixed, um, diverse housing mix. Yeah. But then the reason they bought it is because they want to locate all of these different city offices, which are spread throughout the city into that one location. Okay. As a centralized service center. So the people are going to be, um, city employees and everyone going to get their building permits or whatever is going to be driving to that part of town and you know, everyone's always concerned about parking and traffic. I had forgotten about that aspect of it. I, I, when I think about Alpine Balsam, I think about the proposals for putting a bunch of housing in there. So Yeah, so we're um, losing housing because we're putting city offices there, even though what we've learned from COVID is that people work very efficiently and prefer, prefer it and don't commute into town because now they can work from home. So I'd rather see a cultural arts center. I'd rather see nonprofits. I'd rather see more retail. I'd rather see more housing than consolidating all our city offices there. When I see. It, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, when I said Alpine Balsam, I have this fantasy in my brain that uh, the, the proposals are for a lot more housing in 15-minute neighborhoods there. But, but you're telling me that it's the, that it's the consolidating the city offices. Oh, no, no. They're going to do housing, uh, and a, a big portion of that. So the original, yeah. the county wanted to move in there also, uh -huh. and we talked them out of it. Yeah. But now just the city. Um, well, I think we should... We should uh, <laughs> yeah. You can see why... Uh, Every development project, you know, everyone has different opinions about what it should be. Uh, and, and well, this is unique yeah. because the city bought it. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's that's why yeah. they, they yeah. it's good. Well, okay, because so so sorry. Let, let's just start over with this question. What would you do with the Alpine Balsam um, area? Maybe you just answered that, but sorry. Yeah, I would. Uh, the the track where we're going down, I think, yeah. um, some some family housing uh, along the park, gradually going up to. Broadway, where the speeds are faster and it's more appropriate to have a higher density, some great retail on the bottom, um, great retail on the park side. I'd love to see a coffee shop and ice cream pops serve people in the park. Um, I love the fact that they're going to be cutting up that huge block and making paseos, adding more walkability. Um, yeah, it's looking. That sounds great. Yeah. But uh, we're going to get needlessly, I don't know, 700, 1,000 car trips in there for people trying to 
you know, drive their cars in from far away to do city business, which I think we should move city business online. Yeah, um, well. And we should have more neighborhood amenities if, we, if we're gonna make this into a, add a lot of people. Yeah, um, so something I always say that I, I, think, I think one of the things that's gotta give if we're gonna add people to our city is we have to remove cars because, um, you know, having meaningfully full quantities of housing like in that yeah. in that area uh seems like you know but just don't put a lot of parking there i mean that wouldn't yeah. that eliminate a lot of trips no because if we're going to locate city off city offices there yeah people are not going to they have they have, they to, have drive. to drive there they and they got to park there. and they'd be parking an ideal parking lot there's just not enough incentive to to get them to to take the bus or public we transit or, no the, or, we don't or, have yeah we don't have a sufficient public transit system which is another yeah. thing whole separate conversation yeah another chicken and egg thing too, yeah yeah by the way yeah but on the uh the parking i mean uh, i uh we also don't have the efficient high-speed rail that I, I take when i go to spain um let's not kid ourselves yes people can spend the majority of their time and their daily trips um working shopping in their 15-minute neighborhoods but everyone's gonna have a car to go to their mountains to have their adventures that's why we moved to colorado so let's be let's be realistic about um people having cars we can have less cars we can share cars um but uh yeah they don't they don't belong downtown they don't take priority over bicyclists or pedestrian safety um i'm not i'm not uh i'm not scared to make things a little more inconvenient or more expensive um, yeah. to get people out of their cars and doing the right thing by climate and building a better community but I, i'm not uh not going to shame people for having a car because no i it's it's not about for me it's not about that it's just like i just feel like there ought to be a lot more opportunities for people to live without a car in boulder you know and yeah, uh, we can we can get that done and so um i think like just just kind of one practical aspect of that is like you know we're, we're also concerned about affordable housing well one thing that makes housing really expensive is making room for all the cars and so to me i would love to have an option where um I could buy something for a lot cheaper if I say I'm not going to have a car, you know. Or, so if you or, commit not to having a car, or either commit to it or just like uh, I'm not able to. <laughs> so it's two different things, right? Yeah. If, if if I think one of the interesting things at Alpine Balsam and they discussed, I don't know if they took it up, was if people said, "Oh, I'm not going to have a car." Yeah. And yeah, you, that you can developer can get benefits if if you put those restrictions on it. But then, because the problem is if we if the chicken and egg problem, if people can't actually live without a car because we don't have the public transit system or people want to have a car because they want to drive to their adventures and we build 500 units and all the city office space and 0.7 parking spaces per unit and each unit's going to have two cars. Yeah. What's going to happen is what I observed in New York was neighbors getting into fistfights over, <laughs> over parking. Over parking, yeah. Right? So... Carrots and sticks, back to that. Yeah. And, and yeah. you gotta make sure you're, you're at the same time, you're um, building the housing, you're building the transit, um, so that you manage these, these tensions. Because yeah. that's one thing, parking, um, it's a tension that needs to be managed. For right? sure, for sure, yeah. All right, well, thanks for indulging me on that one. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, like I said, I, I hope that we can add people and remove cars because that's to me it feels like 
to, to meaningfully address the climate, we need to change our way of life. We also like, and, and just to piggyback on my own fantasies here about how cool I think Boulder could be, uh, is, you know, the, the more we live in pro-social environments that are, you know, kind of the, the, the neighborhoods you ex described in Spain, yeah. if we could figure out how to make those work here and make those attractive, like we have so much, um, we have so much need for better communities and better, the better mental health that goes with that. You know, you mentioned education and healthcare and yep. food. Um, and mental health feels like it needs to be on that list because we're just failing our every, you know, society is just seems like it's it's, it's, on, been, a, it's been a tough couple of years. Yeah. But even, even beyond that, like, yeah. Um, all right, so let's um, let's move over to bedrooms are for people. Yep. So um, I'm a volunteer. So I, I would just like to stick on this for one <laughs> oh, moment. Okay, for sure. Um, you know, <laughs> I think this is a great place, and people complain about it. And there's one thing to complain: it's expensive, yeah. right? And uh, I want more people to be able to enjoy this uh, high quality of life we have here, and that's yeah. my focus. Um, but I think if you want something else. There's other places to move to, right? So, well, not in North America, typically. Well, I mean, there's not a lot of walkable neighborhoods in North America that sure. aren't expensive. Well, they're, they're, <laughs> I mean, they aren't expensive or don't offer a terrible quality of life, right? Yeah. Um, so there's so, something. Let's not idle. Like, what city in uh, in North America? Actually, I'm going to leave aside Toronto. <laughs> I was right? going to say maybe we in, should uh, in the United States. <laughs> the in the United 48, States. Yeah. So cities. Um, typically have um, much worse socioeconomic mobility, especially for people start at the bottom, much worse educational outcomes, much worse health outcomes, um, much worse crime, much worse budgets. So they're doing something wrong. So we got to figure out how to do it better. Um, the one thing that they do do better, which we can emulate, is they have a much lower carbon footprint, yeah. right? Because they live lighter, they use mass transit, all that stuff. So I want to emulate that, but not all the other failed policies. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a that's a big bag of worms right there. Um, yeah, show me the example in America that you want to make this place more like it's, you know. Yeah, no, I, I, that's why we always look to Europe for yeah, yeah, inspiration, yeah. right? Because they they have the walkable neighborhoods and they have the, you know, the the pro-social com <laughs> communities. I don't know. Yeah. Um, we we um, I feel not so like, much anymore though. Yeah. You know, they've, they've, so they, the, Europe has a lot of homogenized, pla homogenous places. And, you know, I don't know how much you paid attention to what's happened the past decade with the European sovereign crisis. You know, they tried to put themselves together and they don't get along too well. Yeah. And they're also dealing with, with lots of, lots of tensions um, when um, they've had a lot of migration and yeah. they're not dealing with it so well. So I, I don't, I don't idolize Europe in everything they do. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, we have our own migration issues that are um, ongoing and they're probably likely to be exacerbated with climate change. Yeah. And, um, uh, well, uh, gosh, there's so much to, there's so much to, yeah, to we can talk for hours. <laughs> unpack here because um, what I'd really like to talk about is zoning and land use. Sure, let's do it. Because um, uh, I feel like if, um, we made allowances for people to change the configuration of their properties, you know, to subdivide it or aggregate properties and, and build something different. Um, you know, like it, it feels like um, 
for, for one thing, the market really wants to build a lot more housing. Um, do, do we want it or not is another question. Um, when you say the market, you mean landowners want to make money and developers? Well, who, el who else makes houses besides developers? Well, you say the market wants. There's oh, two sides yeah. to every market. There's people who are trying to buy homes, people trying to sell homes. But Oh, sure. Well, um, I don't think we should always be slaves to the market. Oh, for sure. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm in, I'm in the, yeah, I guess I'm in both sides of the market because okay. there's a very high demand, obviously. There always has been. Yep. Um, and then, you know, the uh, supply has been constrained for a long time. And um, anyways, uh, maybe speak to that. Do you, do you have any, do you have any sense? <laughs> I'm all over the map tonight. Sorry. No, no, I love it. Um, do you see any path towards market rate affordability in Boulder? Absolutely. Okay, what is it? So there's, there's, um, one, we have very high land cost, yes. right? But not everywhere. And yeah. there's, a, there's a gradient, right? There's, there's the expensive places near the foothills and Mapleton. Mm -hmm. But then as, as you get out to East Boulder, yep. land cost gets cheaper and cheaper. Yeah, you're not near the hiking trails, but I think as long as the, the city, and that's what I would work to do on council, is make sure that we have just as great amenities and services and access all across the city yeah. in every neighborhood, including the new, new ones we build, that's going to um, make the quality of life just as good no matter where you live in Boulder. Yeah. And that's what, that's what I'm committed to. So things We that, don't all have to have dinner on Pearl Street, you know, right? Like, I mean... We can all have access to parks. We can all have access to, you know, libraries, mass transit, all that good stuff. Yeah. So, um, one, go where location, mm -hmm. size, quality, right? And amenities. Those, that, that's what determines... Um, where a property is going to rent or sell for. Yeah. And then the construction cost is land, or the, the cost to produce is land cost, um, materials and labor, and all the other stuff, Regula all the other stuff the, we add on. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I've been... Climate I've, friendly regulations, invested, for example. L like, um, yes. co codes around insulating, for example. Yes, exactly, which we recognize they have a cost, yeah. but we're doing that for a reason. Of course. Right. Uh, but I meant more things like how we do affordable housing with the 25% uh, you know, inclusionary housing ordinance. So I, I watch planning board or, or city council when we congratulate ourselves for how much affordable housing this development is going to create via cash and lieu, but then lament how expensive the market rate is. Well, the market rate is subsidizing 25% of units, mm -hmm. um, making them more expensive. So um, that is a constraint to housing supply, um, market rate housing supply. So how do we get market rate? Um, we zone for it. Um, the, the value of land is going to be whatever the highest and best use you can develop on it. So if we say via our zoning, here's what we want, and provide the positive incentives rather than the restrictions where we're going to get the housing we want at a more affordable price faster. Okay, so uh, where, where do you have in mind that this, this uh, better zoning would, would take place? Uh, BC1 and BC2 to start. That's where we're going to get the most bang for your buck. What's, what's BC1 and BC2? Uh, business Commercial 1 and 2. I see. Um, so these are the old... First of all, you know, we're doing this the, is east. the East Boulder. No, no, no. So this is Alpine Balsam. This is this is the Meadows. Okay. This is Basemar. Oh, um, great. Yeah. These are all our, our old 70s and 80s parking lots, shopping centers. Yeah. Right. Which right. are 
we got one right over here. The parking lots always have empty. Yeah, so easily. That's a lot easier. It's one property, one owner, to imagine um, exactly where you want to live, right? Rather than a parking lot. Yeah. Um, and it's easy to get done. Um, uh, is Table Mesa on that list? Table Mesa and Broadway. That that sort of property. Basemar? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, ba that's oh. Baseline and Broadway. Okay. Uh, yeah. Table Mesa is one. One. I'm one, sure it is. Yes. One mile south. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. I think those are you know, inefficient, built for a different time, and just awesome. ripe, ripe yeah. for a... Well, you're speaking, speaking my language here. Okay. This is great. So then uh, the, the litmus test for everyone this election is, is what do you do about RL1 and RL2, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is the single-family um, neighborhoods. Um, the, there's been a lot of misinformation spread that 85% of our land is single-family single homes. I've been, I've, I think I've been spreading that Yeah, that's, that's incorrect. It's 35%. Yeah. Um, uh, Thirty-five percent of what? The entire city. Yes. Yeah. So um, this came up. Someone asked me about this because uh, I had I had perpetuated that number on this podcast, and yeah. so I was actually going to, independent of this, make a note at the front end to say, hey, about this number. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, but, I, I corrected but the I think, other candidate. But I think the, the number. I think the number is um, uh, that that I'm going for is the percentage of residential. That's RL one. Yeah, that's a fallacy as well because. Uh, we have lots of, you know, um, mixed use where commercial is a, commercial and residential are allowed or Also, oh, go ahead and flex. include that then. What's the number then? You know, but it's thirty-five percent of our land is single, zone single family. Then the idea that we are squeezing from a, a stone is just just not correct. We have so right now um, the all of all of the mixed use and commercial you can build residential there, and we should because yeah. that will address the job housing balance. That's okay. how we're gonna get these great mixed use, walkable neighborhoods. And, and one of the ideas is to take out commercial as you're doing it, or, or it's no. just in, in addition to? So, so the ones that are zoned pure commercial, yeah. we need to rezone for, um, for mixed use or residential. I see. Um, but that's what we're working on the East Boulder sub-community yeah. plan, which is 60% right. done. What I do think we need to protect, and this is always the challenge with mixed use, is our, our light industrial, um, because we need our you know, our car mechanics, our, our stuff sure. like that. Yeah. And we can't, we can't uh, have those all go out of town because then we'll be driving out for services. So <laughs> that's the thing, that's, we need to manage that wisely. Yeah. And there's, a, there's some intricacies to the zoning where um, if there is a residential contiguous with an industrial, then you, could, then you can rezone that to residential. So it's kind of like this, I don't know what the dig dug effect or dig dug the video game. Yeah, totally. So where yeah. it just kind of, the current zoning allows this eating away into our industrial zones and we need to, we need to put a pause on that. Yeah. So RL1 and RL2, other candidates have mentioned build on transit corridors, which, which actually makes no sense because, uh, you know, there's some, there's some RL1 on transit corridors like Broadway and Iris where it's inappropriate to have single family homes on, maybe it was 20 years ago, but on essentially what feel like racetracks. And what people end up doing is just putting up walls. Yeah. So you should have apartment buildings there, but there are R01. So you would need to actually create a new zoning for those, not just change R01. R01. So, so you're, right now you're kind of implicitly pushing back on the notion of changing RL, R, all RL1s. No, 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 no. No, okay. no I'm saying... I, I didn't quite I'm follow. saying the other candidates don't really know what they're talking about. Um, in, in, in saying that we need to build on transit corridors by changing RL1. No. You, you need to create new zoning along transit corridors, right, to allow 
a more appropriate um, form of housing that will slow traffic down, create more um, possibly retail opportunities, more biking. RO1 yeah. is different. That's this place. Yeah, right. Right? And uh, I'm having this little troubles following along, though. So, sure, so, sure. What you, so what you are saying, though, is that if there was an RL1 on a transit corridor, it would be appropriate to rezone that. We would need to change the zoning from RL1 to something else. Yeah. So yes. Not change the RL1 zoning. Yeah. Yeah. That, okay. I, think, I think that's what I think that's what I tried to ask. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So, um, yeah, and and so when you. So, so in that sense, building along transit corridors makes perfect sense. Absolutely, just doing that. We need to. Okay, so what was the, the thing right that way. was nonsensical? I, I, like, I felt like you were being clever with words. Saying, no, 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 because yeah. these are precise things, yeah, right? Right. That we need. If we actually want to make change, we know we need to know how to do it. Right. Right. And it, it means changing the zoning, not rezoning, rather than changing what the R01 zoning says. Sure. Okay. Cleave those off from R01 zoning, and then address R01. And RL2 separately. Yeah. And so what? then you were getting around to like the litmus test for RL1 and yes. RL2, not next to transit corridors. Yes. What do you do with that? So what do you do with that? We need to, so first of all, rather than going for the jugular yeah. and scaring people <laughs> and doing things like bedrooms are for people, quite frankly, okay. um, you got to know that we're not going to bulldoze your single family home. You yeah. want to live in your single family home, it's that's fine. It's forever. Yeah. And um, also, what, what they've done in other cities like Minneapolis, they had where they got rid of single family zoning, they have form-based code, so people know what to expect. Yeah. So what, what we need to have is predictable, gradual change, which is going to preserve neighborhood character. Um, people bond into a certain neighborhood because they like it. You may not like it. But you talk to most people and they say, okay, this house, it's, you know, you could either fit, I don't know, a much bigger house here for, for yeah. a couple, or you could put a duplex here with an attached wall yeah. um, and allow twice as much housing. Right. Um, wouldn't change neighborhood character at all. No. Probably allow more families and kids to live here. Parking becomes a little more stressful in some neighborhoods, perhaps. Not this one. I don't one. know. I don't, you, yeah, um, probably. That's a lot, that's a lot less... Uh, Two families is a lot different from 10 kids with yeah. 10 cars. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I, I would much rather have a discussion about let's, let's our, our affordable um, neighborhoods, which are very attractive to families and walking to schools. Let's get more families in there. All right. So let's, let's move to bedrooms after sure, people. Sure. Let, let me take just a quick break and get a light. I've got, oh, a, yeah, little, sure. I've got a little camping light I'm going to set up here. Oh, cool. All right. So I think, uh, I think it's fair to, uh, or just to ask make a case against bedrooms are for people. Okay. So, um, if it's, so what I consider, um, immoral objectionable is that someone, um, could face eviction for sleeping in a bedroom. So if it, uh, if it, if I'm on council and it doesn't pass, that's the first thing I'm going to address. Okay. If it passes, I'm going to, and I'm on council, I'm going to immediately address the unintended consequences which are, um, because we talked extensively about CU's um, failure to house their insatiable growth of, of student population, it's caused enormous stress on certain neighborhoods. Yeah. So living across from me, across the street from me, is an illegally over-occupied over, over um, single-family home. They're my best neighbors. Um, but we got to recognize that certain neighborhoods are under 
high stress by um, the, the students. And I know four developers in town, two out-of-state investors who are ready to act immediately to go into all these, what, what the last remnants of our affordable neighborhoods are. So that's one thing I want to challenge. Do, yeah. we, have, do we have last remnants of affordable neighborhoods? Well, we're three, me, well, we're three years like ago. That, well, we're three years ago. Yeah, to me it feels like that ship sailed uh, a while ago. But. Well, we'll see. I think that, you know, there's a, a lot of things have gotten expensive, like used cars, because there's a lot of supply disruptions, and who knows whether this will settle down, right? The, it, lumber prices went through the roof, and now they're back down. So, um, and there's a lot of internal migration. We'll see the, see where that settles. But in any case, on the more affordable side, where someone could hope to be able to buy, um, they're going to get replaced by what are effectively boarding houses. Um, so one can say, oh, who, who cares? We can house more students or young people. But it's it's a value judgment about. Um, I want to have housing which can meet the needs of every income level and for people's entire entire lifespan right from when they're young and student or just starting out to when they want to start a family and then when they want to retire right so it's about uh, and also I'm not uh, fetishizing home ownership but uh, it's just going to create more um, you know, single unit rental housing, which we have, we know how to create and we're doing a lot of it. And we think we've oversupplied that the past decade relative to the missing middle. So the other relative. thing, the other thing so, so on a relative basis, because, yeah. so the, and we wouldn't have this problem if C, C would have built their own housing. So, um, I did my research and I've looked at all these investment properties on the Hill, Martin Acres and Goss Grove and What's going on there is you walk in, you tour, and they give you the wink, wink, nod, nod that, oh yeah, there's four people on the lease, but you can get 9,000 a month because you look around and all these, all these like substandard um, bedrooms built that people, that students live in. Um, and yeah, they- So you're saying they're getting 9,000 now? Yes. Yeah. There's some small risk premium because they're illegal and those rents will go up once they're legalized. Um, and then, so I, I had some, talked to some developer and it's 25,000 a bedroom to cost to add another bedroom for him, which at a thousand, twelve hundred a month, you're going to make it back in two years. That's a, you know, that's assuming, it, that's assuming you can reconfigure the existing structure, not adding on new structure. They're going to do both. No. So, so this house, they'll, they'll scrape it and build the maximum FAR, put 10, 12 bedrooms in here, um, with 10, 12 cars. Um, other places where they're either landmarked or historic or it's more cost effective to just add a bedroom or six, they'll do that. So I, don't, I, I think it'll actually um, increase the um, stock of, of certain types of housing units at the cost of housing units that we're so desperately missing. Well, so I'm confused because um, uh, you said that we've built too much, um, sink, you know, micro apartment, you know, one bedroom yeah. apartments. Uh, no, I don't say we, on a relative basis, we haven't built too much of anything. We haven't built too much of anything. So we're, we're kind of short supplied in all, in, in every direction. Okay. Well, okay. So maybe we have Well, listen, we're, 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 a, we're a, through the location we're in, people have discovered skiing over the past 30 years and thoughtful planning and 
a robust, diverse economy with, with healthcare, high-tech, education, government jobs, it's a very desirable place to live. Yeah. So relative to a lot of other places in the country, people are always going to want to move here, yeah. right? So it's, it's uh, um, when you say we haven't built enough, we'll never, we're never, never going to be able to build enough. We just have to build, build what um, suits the needs of our community to build a welcoming, diverse community and to provide housing for, as I said, across people's lifetimes and across the income spectrum. Because that's the kind of community I want to live in. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, one of the things I like about the walkable neighborhood I mentioned before is, is you can retire into it without feeling isolated if you can't drive anymore, for example. Yep. Um, well, and a place, place like this, this might be too big for, for sure. someone who wants and to I, downsize. And I want to be able to downsize and have a place to go. And if you had two shared places here, could share utilities, share grocery runs, all that stuff. So, um, so the the question I well, so so one of the things um, I wanted to ask about the the theoretical, maybe it's not theoretical, the real investor who wants to pay whatever. I mean, I don't know if Zillow twenty five thousand a bedroom. I don't, I don't know if Zillow is correct in in what this house is worth, but yep. um, you know. Uh, they want to come in and buy. I mean, the, what's the median price of a single-family home in Boulder is one point something. Yeah, uh, so that's half below, half above, and there's a lot that are way above. Yeah. Uh, right. And so, so let's just say you're gonna you're gonna. Uh, so an institutional investor looks at that, yep. and they say, oh, that's a slam dunk. A uh, million dollars will turn that into to 10, 12 bedrooms and make boatloads of money. That's is that the claim you're making, or am I misrepresenting? No, so th that's less of institutional investor, and that's going to be the local guys, because okay. the, lo the institutions they want to um, they want to build bigger projects, right? So it's yeah, it's, I think of like um, I have a small rev in fundrise, the rev, yeah, oh yeah, fundrise stuff yeah. like that. And but it's so more it's more the uh, you know insurance companies and pension funds and things like that. Yeah. Um, so what they would look at here is, okay, if everything's bank financed, and a bank will lend against what you can legally build there. So if you can build a single family home, you're going to generate a certain amount of rents. Yeah. If we change occupancy to say, you can rent however many bedrooms you want, yeah. they're going to pencil in 10, 12 bedrooms. And the bank, instead of saying, okay, this is a single family home, it should rent for this much. They're going to say, okay, you can, this is going to rent for 15,000 a month, 10 bedrooms, 12 bedrooms. So it's going to unlock all this development. So, I mean, that's why I said I'm for, I'm for, facts and solutions, not slogans. Bedrooms for, for people is a great slogan, but it's just ignoring the economic realities. So um, unpack this for me a little bit more. Sure. Because um, you started off by saying that um, evicting somebody for living in a bedroom feels immoral to you, yep. is, is immoral to you. So um, you're, uh, you'd, you'd like to reform it in which, how would you like to do the reform? Oh, so people, Whatever we have now, legal. Grandfather. If, yeah, grandfather it is. Grandfather, but I think we actually need to go and look for, what I saw there was some pretty unsafe living conditions with health and safety and fire card violations that it's a, just a recipe for disaster. And I don't think Bedrooms Are For People addresses that at all. Like, like um, in, in terms of like, uh, th there would be nothing that would keep us from for example, going into a house and saying, hey, these, these bedrooms aren't really cool. Well, it has because the city has pulled back on enforcement 
because of this battle um, that's been going on for years, because they really had, they really, if you look at the data, there, there haven't been evictions um, yeah. other than for real, real cause. cause. I think that's actually an argument for bedrooms over people is the fact that um, it's been arbitrarily enforced and it's really unfair to people who. I think it's unfair. To, I think it's unfair to neighbors who, when there is a, a students, um, not being good neighbors, and the, the onus is put on their neighbors on the hill to constantly call in nuisance complaints and have the police go. Really, my, my philosophy. My philosophy is that. CU hasn't housed their students, so they should have students sign the same residential code of conduct that they would adhere to if living in a dorm, if they're going to live in a neighborhood. Because I don't want police harassing students. It should be academic discipline. So what, so what should we do? We should do exactly what city council tried to negotiate with the bedrooms people um, when they wanted to change the ballot measure, and I would have supported that. So. I, I want to do things which are actually going to create affordability and not just benefit developers and landlords, right? So uh, no scrapes to build um, boarding houses. Uh, if you want to add bedrooms, you got to make it affordable. That, that'll get me where I want to go. And I actually think that actually create more affordable housing opportunities and not just, you know, benefit people who want to make money off of it. So is there anything about the way that Bedrooms Are For People is written now that, that prevents you adding safeguards to, to the measure? Yeah, the way they went about it, right? And that, that's not how we should do politics in this town. We should talk to each other, listen to each other. I understand they feel like they got mistreated by Tom Carr, but you know what, I've talked to many bedrooms. He's the city attorney. Yeah, I've yeah. talked to many bedrooms volunteers and they agree with me. So. Um, and, and they agree with you on what on what part where okay. we need to get to in the end oh i see and they hate the process and they feel like uh you know we we feel so defeated and we're close to the finish line we just got to get it through and i i respect them for that because it's been a it's been a bad process and i i would hope the city doesn't engage um in this way you know i'm for i'm for uh conversation and making progress together so um i feel like if i were on council it wouldn't have gotten to this point yeah yeah well um yeah, you know, when I think about uh, why I like Bedrooms Are For People, like I mentioned, I'm, I like the I, slogan. It's a good slogan. Yeah, well. Uh, Sounds good. Yeah. I, <laughs> so you were contrasting slogans with people who do. And um, I actually feel like it does something that's really practical and, and useful. It's not just a saying. It's actually going to change the city. And, and, and you, you think it's in a, in a bad yeah, way. Yeah, in so, a bad way. Yeah, so um, I think it's more than a slogan. It's actually like a real policy. No, no, that, it's a good yeah. slogan. But if you look at what it actually does, <laughs> if you do the math on it, if you look at the actual impacts, it's yeah. bad. I was just contrasting it with, uh, with uh, saying stuff versus oh, okay. doing stuff. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyways. Um, I feel like I think the, the arguments I think that really, they... I think it's really kind of a sad commentary on, on Boulder that... Um, in the last few years, whatever housing we've added has been um, sort of um, overrun by the demographic trend that allows the population to keep decreasing. So we've had we've had a decreased population. That's also not true. Yeah, it totally is true. No, it's not. You want me to get the census data out? Well, uh, maybe not the last three, but but. Um, because uh, I, I don't, I I don't like know, I don't know, twenty twenty one. Yeah, we've the population increased not as much as. Louisville Superior, but we had a population increase. Um, 
We, that's, so the, that's the the 2020 census data that came out. Yeah, happy to. Yeah, yeah we did decrease. Uh, here, I'll, I'll, well, Gary Walkner was super excited because Boulder's population had decreased three years in a row. Let me let and, me just get the real data for you. and we have a discussion about facts. Okay. Okay, population is 108,000. Um, population grew 11% over the past 10 years yeah. and grew 3% over the previous decade. So when they say we're losing people, they just don't have their numbers right. Uh, I, um, think, I think the peak population was 109,000 in 2016. So, and so we've actually decreased the last few years, which is what I was trying to say. Okay, you're right then. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know the yearly, but I'm just going by the census data. Yeah. Um, and uh, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have the numbers for the number of units that have gone in since 2016. Uh, but, yeah, so <laughs> my commentary was based on, was based on those facts. So, so base uh, effects, okay. Uh, uh, but so, what I want to say is, is um, like, we have this demographic trend where people um, live in large houses by themselves. Yep one or two people. And we have lots of empty bedrooms throughout the house, throughout the city. Uh, and uh, it does seem funny to me that, um, that we, we actually disallow people from living in those bedrooms. Um, unless, unless you're in, you know, kind of a sanctioned family situation. So, and, and um, I think one of the, the kind of knee jerk reactions people have in the language that you're using is that, you know, we need we need to um, treat f traditional families as as they've been, you know, as, as they've been, you know, sort of favored in not at all in, in the um, in the occupancy restrictions, for example. Um, so let's uh, let's go back to what I said initially. There's yeah, an illegally overoccupied house across the street from me, and they're yeah. my best neighbors. So I would welcome bedrooms in my neighborhood, yeah. uh, bedrooms for people in my neighborhood. I'm just concerned that we have to recognize what is the driver of this specific issue in our town and it's cu so let's eliminate the hill goss grove and martin acres oh from from that yeah from this let's yeah. do a zoning overlay i welcome in my neighborhood i, yeah. I, I love uh you know um, and then so do so do um uh again the the, the, the guardrails are specific places and yep. throughout the city which are already at a tipping point which are already a tipping point um so well so one question I have about those those areas, are, are they, is that even going to change for them? Like if they're already at full occupancy illegally, yep. doesn't it just legalize the occupancy and then it, and things stay the same? Or, you're, or the concern is really that people go into Martin Acres, scrape a home, put 10 and 12 bedrooms up. So there are certain, there are certain investors who yep. have made big plays on the hill um, I think they think there's going to, this whole town's going to turn into a Google or, and then they're going to sell them in 10 years for much higher. But in the meantime, they are I illegally and eventually legally going to be adding as many bedrooms as they can to maximize their income. It's not occurring in other neighborhoods, just these very specific neighborhoods where let's pay attention to facts on the ground. You know, let, if, if you want to, um, I agree, if this were a normal community um, without, without the pressures of a college right there, It'd be a very different discussion in North Cause, Boulder. Because then it's more about the, you know, uh, favoring traditional families over. We don't do that. That's another yeah. fallacy. Like you can go in. I think in Colorado, it's if you go on four dates, you're a common law married, and you can go, <laughs> you can go uh, to the city 
we don't prize traditional families at all. We have a very broad uh, definition of a family. You just go to the city and get a permit. So that's another um, fallacious okay. argument. I've, being. I've never heard of a family permit. Or, uh, sorry, domestic partnership. Domestic partnership. Well, yeah, okay. Um, so, so you're saying like you you want people to have to go through that to be able to live no together. i don't yeah. but i'm saying it's not a, it's not currently a barrier right i i don't think that's right i think that's the whole reason that out boulder is is endorsing bedrooms are for people is that it there is a significant barrier to people who want different configurations than what has been traditional families so if the, if if they say that i'll take their word for it and that's not, uh, like I said, I, I don't pr prize um, any family structure over another. In my neighborhood, I would welcome it. I'm yeah. just concerned about the facts on the ground in certain neighborhoods. In certain neighborhoods. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, did we want to review the list of, uh, of safeguards that you would like to see with sure. terms of for people? So we, we talked about specific neighborhoods would be exempted or yep. have a safe, safe uh, yeah. Specific neighborhoods. Uh, to make sure it's actually creating affordability and not yeah. just benefiting developers and landlords and then monitoring and and, and uh, preventing you know scrapes and building boarding houses which are just doing CU's job for them rather than actually creating more housing so um, <laughs> one of the one of the thought exercises I have is like are, are there any are there any properties like on the hill for yep. example that would otherwise be affordable um, if bedrooms are for people didn't go into effect like i, I mean so, sometimes i just wonder like when you when you make this argument if yep. you're really just arguing about which wealthy people own these houses no um so why why do you think the cap rates on the the hill are like sub three percent right because there's anticipation we're just going to build more and more bedrooms and eventually sell to those wealthy people but um there there's also some Older homes, homes on smaller lots, smaller homes, right? Which, like we said, we started the conversation. There, there, there needs to be a broad spectrum of affordability for every income level, so we can build a diverse, welcoming community that people of all family structures and all ages can yeah. stay in. So, yeah. um, maybe it's not um, affordable, like sixty percent of AMI, but with mortgage rates at Two and a half percent. A dual income family can afford that with a mortgage, especially places like Martin Acres and, and places like that. Cool. And also have have to have you know there's a, there's another concern for um, the the neighborhoods where, <laughs> let's be honest, CU has not um, managed their students well. We had just had a riot on the hill with. Yeah zero consequences for any student. I've, I've heard no suspensions, no expulsions. And um, there's a lot of friction being generated. And I fear that increasing the number of student housing on the hill would only serve to make things worse. Yeah, yeah. But my neighborhood, I would absolutely <laughs> welcome it. Totally. Uh, well, and I, I uh, yeah, I appreciate your uh, perspective on that. Um, but I'm confident that uh, as, as so, long as we elect so, the right people at city council, <laughs> we're going to end up in the same place. Meaning if it passes, we'll fix it. If it doesn't pass, we'll get it done. I see. Yeah. Well, um, so, yeah, it, um, that's great. Um, I, uh, 
I, I have mixed feelings about uh, you, you saying that uh, you know, like I, I, I don't want, I don't want boarding houses everywhere either, right? Uh, and uh, certainly, I don't want the ten to twelve cars, uh, and it feels inappropriate for this neighborhood. Um, so, well, you don't uh, want ten to twelve cars anywhere. I, I don't. Yeah, you're right. I, I, uh, I'm all about car light living and, and uh, figuring out how to make that work. Um, so, um, I mean, do you appreciate how some people who moved here and sending their kids to the neighborhood school wouldn't want 12 people living on this lot with 12 cars? Uh, I, I, I can, yeah. Okay. And so, um, um, like you said, if it passes, um, you'll fix it. Yeah. If it doesn't, um, you'll you'll take you'll take care of it. I, so we agree. I, I, I think we do. Um, I I uh, I may regret this tomorrow. I'll be thinking. I'll be doing some armchair quarterbacking of like, well, I should have said, said should have said this or that. But um, um, well, give me a call. Happy to have you talk more about it. So I mean, I know in particular yeah. uh, lives in a house with ten or twelve people. Sure, that's not and, a choice that most people would want to make, though. I respect that some people want to make yeah, that choice. Yeah, it's, it's a, a co-housing arrangement. Sure. Um, I feel like uh, as a society, we ought to um, think about more pro-social living arrangements than the traditional family living by themselves in a, in a large house. Um, and I really respect that, that co-housing arrangement he has. I'm curious to know now if there's 10 to 12 cars outside that house and how, how that works and whether or not... I don't know, I've never house yeah <laughs> um, no, but i tell you my 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 ideal but, when i lived in uh you know i lived in new york and i lived uh you know in a strip of row houses and uh sat on my stoop and hung out with my neighbors and yeah that sounds great went to the one corner of the coffee shop the other corner was a park and that was my ideal so well that was very pro-social so, so the, here's the here's the way i was going okay. and that is um if someone came and scraped this house and put 10 to 12 bedrooms in there and then put adus in the back um I think that would be great um, if it's kind of like what you described as a boarding house where it's like 10 micro condos essentially and everyone has a car. Uh, that sounds pretty horrible, especially if they're all, you know, uh, students. I mean, I, I love students and I've met a lot of really nice people at CU. Yep. Our whole economy, not our whole economy, a large part of our economy is driven by students. So we should welcome them and make them feel sure. at home. We here. just got to house them. Uh, yeah, we, we should house them. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, maybe I don't want 10, 12 students right here on this lot. But this right? is also <laughs> why I think this is a not a productive conversation for the city to be having, right? Um, you want great new walkable neighborhoods. Yes. Right? You want to create more housing. Yes. So do I. Awesome. Um, but instead, um, we are, you know, because the whole nation's talking about single-family zoning, we have to talk about it here, even though, how many, what are the numbers? How many new bedrooms is it gonna create, realistically? Do you think? Uh, bedrooms are for people? Yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about single families. No, 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 bedrooms are for people. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I, couple, I know that a lot of, I know hundred, that a lot of. Couple hundred, maybe? Well, I guess, I guess think, one Do you thing, think people who live in those big single family homes, who like two people who are living in a 4,000, 5,000 square foot home, would be like, oh, let's, let's I'm gonna yeah, start let's renting out all my extra <laughs> bedrooms. I wish they would. It's yeah, actually the truth. It, you know. Yeah, I, I wish it was legal for them to do that. Honestly, no, no. Even if it was legal, they wouldn't do it. We don't know that. It's been illegal for 50, 60 years. We've totally normalized people living by themselves in large houses. Okay, um, 
I, yeah, I mean, like, and, and we, we, we say, you want to you change the configuration of your house? I, I like to, I, I think. We, don't, we actually don't know because we've, we've, we've normalized our, our culture around not doing that sort of thing. Fair point, And, and fair literally, point. When, when, you, when you do the thought exercise, people just say, well, you can't do it anyways, it's illegal. Fair point. But I think, anyway, my, back to my original point was, like, let's um, focus and target where people agree get excited, have great ideas, and, and have buy-in, rather than just causing a scuffle that's not gonna actually generate okay. much housing. <laughs> Time out. Yeah, yeah. So I did a lot of uh, petitioning uh, yeah. for bedrooms or for people. And um, one of the things, I, that I came in with a prejudice of what I expected, the kinds of people I expected to interact with. Yeah. Um, you know, like the people that would be for it. Um, and I was blown away by the wide variety of different people that came and signed the petition and yep. had their different wide variety of reasons. I actually feel like there's really wide support. Yeah, you know what? I, I just don't think it's such a big issue for the town. It's not going to create a lot of housing. Um, it's just a lot, much ado about something which should have changed a long time ago. Let's get a change and move on to actually new oh, exciting well, stuff. I mean, that's that's great. Let's. I mean, so I'm on. I'm kind of on that on the same page with you. Like I feel like it's like step one, and maybe you feel it's, like it's like it wasn't even worth doing. But I feel no, like no, it's, no, it's more heat than light. Should have been done properly. Four years ago, the fact that it's gotten to this point, I think it's wasted a lot of people's times, including you having to go get, go out and get signatures. <laughs> yeah. So I'd like well, to. Okay, well, cool. Let's let's uh, let's let's make sure this this passes and we'll fix it as needed. Or let's and... not pass it and then fix it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can understand why um, I'd be super skeptical based on what happened last year yeah. with the city attorney screwing them over and how how often this issue's been punted down the road i feel like, your pain i have, I have I no faith that we can like and, and and what's crazy to me about it is like have faith in me philip <laughs> uh yeah uh i'm all about listen i'm all about bringing the community together yeah. from what i hear of the people who are opposed to it and what i hear of the people who are for it right they basically agree like and we can get to the right place as long as uh we don't do the politics of personal personal destruction. You know, you, you said you went in with a lot of prejudice. Where did you get that prejudice from? Why did you have that prejudice? Well, yeah, prejudice can be negative for sure. And yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I, uh, yeah, I, I assume that the, the people that would be, <clears throat> excuse me, behind bedrooms are for people, like the people that would sign it would all be young people, for example. Yep. And, uh, that's just, uh, That's, you know, old, we walk, old, we old walk, people aren't all bad. <laughs> yeah. We walk through life with all kinds of assumptions about demographics and, yep. and whatnot. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be proven wrong that lots of people are behind bedrooms are for people, you know, that it's it has very, very wide, very wide appeal. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, um, yeah, David Adamson and I have talked about this issue a lot because, um, you know, I, he was sort of like, why, sh why should we spend energy on this when there's all this other work to do that exactly. we could be doing? And, and, I knew and David's that, a smart guy. And, and that, that uh, I, I can see that. And, and I've, I kind of feel the same way in the sense that I hope we get this taken care of. We reform the occupancy restrictions, which are, you know. Yep. Um, uh, I mean, look, we, we spent an hour of this conversation talking about something with very little impact. <laughs> um, well, to you. And to me, no, no. In terms uh, of what else we could be doing, oh. it's a couple hundred bedrooms for people who aren't really getting evicted anyway, and we could have just legalized it with the proper proper restrictions and not gotten the whole town upset about it. 
Yeah, uh, that sounds good. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I would just would, I would just go back to the fact that we, you weren't on past city council, so things, I can't give things, you things I can't give things you haven't been things haven't been working well. I can't and our give conversations, you about our conversations broken. <laughs> Not our conversation, but yeah. the conversation in town. Yeah, and we got to fix it. I can't give you grief about. Um, uh, pa what past city councils have failed to do. Um, I do, you know, given, given the, um, you know, uh, I'm still learning about city politics. Um, I have this sort of preconception that Plan Boulder may, might endorse you. Have they come out with their endorsements? They did. They wrote me something very nice, actually. And, and they endorsed you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel like they've endorsed a lot of uh, city council members who punted on this particular issue that they could have taken. I'm my care. own person. So, yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, tell me about the kickoff party. And you were saying earlier that you had people from Boulder Progressives. Not speaking. from Boulder Progressives. No, no, I'm no, sorry. no, no. I'm sorry. Who, no, who did no, you say not. we're talking with each other? Oh, so, so I think, uh, you know, I interviewed with the coalition. I think a lot of the groups um, were very interested in me. Yep. Um, Boulder Progressives were not because I think they... They like oh. to, they want to defund the police and overturn the camping ban, which I think is a very unpopular position yeah. in this town. Um, and also not the wisest policy for our town. Um, but Better Boulder, you know, because of my... Better Boulder, sorry. Better Boulder, which is the group formed yeah. by the chamber. Yeah, yeah. Um, my extensive experience and commitment to housing, um, transportation, all the things they, they stand for. They're very interested in my candidacy. Um, for, for and, reasons and you can better, read about in the, the press better, release, yeah. you, you'll, uh, they didn't end up moving forward. So, but a lot of them came to my, uh, to my kickoff party. Yeah. A lot of people who are, weren't involved in, in politics at all, and a lot of people from Plan Boulder. And I, I heard a lot of great conversations with people who... Haven't talked to each other Haven't talked while. to each other a long yeah. time, and they thought maybe they had stereotypes about each other. Maybe they fought battles, you know, maybe these some, same sort of battles. But that just inspired my heart that... We can make progress. Cool. So, cool. although, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm endorsed by Plan Boulder. I think I deserve to be endorsed by Better Boulder. Um, you know, because... Because you're a, in line with their values. Everyone yeah. has the same values. It's yeah. just about finding the solutions, and I want to find them. Yeah, you know? cool. Well, uh, that sounds like a closer to me, All if right. you want to be done with this yeah, nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, I, I did too. Thank you for uh, taking sounds time. Sounds like we can do some great stuff.